Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Thursday night, October 20th, 2022. My name is Jake Luke, and I'm joined on my screen at long last by Spencer Nathaniel Schultz. How's it going, bud? It's been a couple weeks. It's going quite well. It has been a, a little separation. You had some things. I had some things. We've done a couple solo apps, all that good stuff. But the uh, the party goes on. It feels good to be back. Has been an absolute cry fest, wah baby fest after the Ravens lose a uh, discombobulated poop fest to the New York Giants on Sunday. They blow the game in four plays offensively and proceeded to watch the entire world melt down around the Twitter sphere of all the angry, anonymous, faceless people that are just up in arms. So you hate to see that, but love to see a Brownies team come into town, a nice home game. The Ravens have finally a home win streak of one and look to build on it. So very excited for that. Yeah, no, it, uh, it <laughs> a win streak of one. You got to love that. Um, and yeah, it uh, it has been... An eventful, eventful couple weeks, especially this past one after, yep, you mentioned it, the uh, loss to the Giants, which uh, I hopped in the studio on Sunday night. I I've really, you know, apologies to anyone that listened to that. I felt like I really didn't give my best effort. A shout out to Zeke for hopping in there and kind of kind of pinch hitting and helping me through it. But uh, yeah, I was, I was out of sorts after that loss. I, I'm not going to say I was totally like surprised by it. I think I even said that on the uh, on the show, but yeah. Three and three, you're, you're a 500 football team right now. You uh, are beating yourself in a lot of these games. The talent is certainly there to uh, be one of the better teams, at least in the AFC. And they're uh, they're just not playing like it in certain spots. But uh, it's been uh, the way that I said it on Sunday night was this football team so far has been one step forward, one step back in every sense of the word on game-to-game sense, in play-to-play sense, in week-to-week sense. It just feels like you do one good thing and then you you step on a rake on the very next thing. It's just, it's been very up and down, very strange couple weeks. It's uh, really manifested itself in this past week, which has been just a, a hellscape on the old bird app, which is kind of how we all interact uh, here uh, within the fan base. So that's been tough to see. Some people have been showing their ass. I think other people have been a little too dramatic. It's been a, been a weird, weird couple weeks for sure. 
Yeah, it has. I think that uh, the, the there's just and I, uh, this is going to swirl in so many directions. And I got pretty pumped up earlier thinking about talking about it. And I try my best to be, you know, objective. Let's talk about the film. Let's talk about the numbers, that kind of shit. But just thinking of like, I don't know, I guess it's my own personal lens and what I've seen. I'm 29 years old. I was born in 1993. I grew up 45 minutes from Baltimore. I played for the Hampstead Ravens. I was a very football obsessed child. And the Ravens are very near and dear to me and got me through some rough times in my life as a, as a young fan going through, you know, my own little pubescent, you know, mental angst and all of those kinds of things and tough times that I have had in my life. Not that I've had a terribly tough life, but I wouldn't say I've had a terribly easy one either. And watching the way that the team that I fell in love with, the way that they resonated with the city of Baltimore, the way that Ray Lewis and... Ed Reed and Terrell Suggs and Haloti Nada and Kelly Gregg and Edwin Mulatalo and Jonathan Ogden and Todd Heap. The one thing I was just thinking of today is that whenever shit like this swirled and they got into those muddy, sticky situations, they hit. They hit harder. They stood back up and they hit harder and they hit harder and they hit harder until they dug themselves out of a rut. And everybody likes to talk about, oh, the, the 2000 Super Bowl season they don't score a touchdown for a month and go two and two because they would hit. And that was their identity. And that's why Baltimore loved them so much because they were gritty. They were tough. They were physical. And whenever they found themselves stuck in the mud, their tires spinning, they would fucking get out and push the back of the truck and hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it and hit it. And that is why I fell in love with the Ravens. That is why I am such an obsessed Ravens fan and have been for my entire life because whenever they were down it, it personally always rose me up guys like Ray Lewis that they would get up and fucking hit their way out of it over and over and over again. And that was amazing. The 2012 Super Bowl champion team went through a shit show and we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, you know what they went through mid season. And of course we want to say, well, what if that, what if they fired the offensive coordinator? What if, what if it's just like 2012? Well, it's easy to say that from a fan. It's easy to say that from our own you know, personal bias because we've seen it. So we feel familiar and comfortable saying it, but every season, every song has a different, you know, tune. So it's easy to fall back into those things. Sure. They could do those things. Maybe history repeats itself, but it doesn't matter. The story of the Ravens and where they are now goes from that season. Ray Lewis retires. Ed Reed is gone. You know, all of those, those beautiful souls that epitomize what the Ravens were and what the city of Baltimore were faded on. And I am going to not speak ill of Terrell Suggs. He is a Hall of Famer, wore his jersey for years, loved the dude, unbelievable player, exhibited leadership in many ways. But the seriousness, the death of seriousness that that team had so many times and the ability to self-govern a locker room and those kinds of things, what they were, they had to shift from Billick, the old guard, the coach that you know grew into you know his players and being a player's coach, the locker room gets out of control. So they bring in the 40-year-old whippersnapper John Harbaugh to go bust some asses, you know, in the words of Bruce Cunningham, get a mouthful of ass and go through that whole experience. When Ray Lewis and Ed Reed leave, it became this goofball thing. Terrell Suggs was the, uh, he was the young one, the fun one, the silly dance one, you know, ball so hard, Sizzle University, all that stuff. And then that's what the Ravens became. He was the, the Don. He was the king of that team after Ray Lewis and Ed Reed leave. Then it's Brandon Williams, dancey, dancey, dance. Matt Judon, woo, woo, woo. Tony Jefferson, ha, ha, all, all this stuff. And this is just fan perspective stuff, but it's like they became very unserious. It became a very unserious locker room. And they do things like trade away Anquan Bolden, who was always serious as death. 
and do things like, you know, uh, some of those things. And, and it's Joe Flacco's team. He was a guy that had a funny personality. You can listen to the Glenn Clark episode from three weeks ago about, you know, how interesting of a guy Joe was, but it became this whole goofball fest. And then they draft Marlon Humphrey. And, you know, they've, they've got all these goofy guys that, you know, love to have fun and love to, you know, party on the field and all that stuff. You know, they have some success. The Ravens have, contrary to the belief of, you know, the nameless, faceless people on the internet, have gone to the playoffs four of the last five years, have finished first in their division in three of those years. And at the same time, it feels like, you know, Yonda then finally fades off. And, you know, Judon, who was a leader while he was a goofball, he's kind of phased out. You bring in Campbell, you bring in these guys. John Harbaugh and, and Jimmy Smith detailed this. He was a player that saw basically two – he was the, the one player that really got deep into the quote-unquote, I guess, Lamar era, and we'll say the Marlon Humphrey era, but was also still barely around for the Ray Lewis era, for the very end of it. So he talked about his relationship with John Harbaugh. I think Zrebeck did it uh, when, when Jimmy Smith kind of wasn't going to play football again this year. And he said he basically went from being a disciplinarian to a player's coach. He changed with the times. And at the same time, the generation has changed. It's, you know, the 20-somethings now are very different from the 20-somethings 10 years Mascul ago. Masculinity now is completely different than it was 20 years ago when Ray and Ed were, were growing up. It's just, it's completely, I mean, even like, look at us. Social media was nothing. Yeah, and, exactly. It was nothing. It was all just kind of your, your rep, so to speak. And guys came from different backgrounds even 20 years ago. I think like if you look at Marlon, he's a guy who comes from, you know, a much more, uh, a background of much more means than a guy like Ray Lewis or Ed Reed did too. Definitely. And, you know, it's the social media generation, whatever. And, and Harbaugh has been here 15 years now, and, and it feels like he's kind of like this, you know, I, I think he's still a good coach, but it feels more like grandpa with their grandchildren, you know, given, given their grandkids everything they wanted that their kids didn't get. There's the classic conversation. Oh, mom, dad, why don't you treat me like this? So it, he's shifted and it, it's, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but nonetheless, it just feels like there's been this void of seriousness about this team. And, they have trouble last year with injuries. They get to the point where, where the, the mantra, the T-shirt, and it finally came to the crux today, finish. What have we heard so many times over the last year? What was Harbaugh's grand message? Finish, finish, finish. They talk about finishing nonstop. Got to finish, 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 finish. And this year they're struggling to finish. How do we finish? Reporters, what are you going to do to finish? How do you change things to finish? Finish, finish, finish. So now it comes to this fucking accumulation of, of finish, finish to the point where they can't line up against the Giants because they are fucking chomping at the bit trying to line up. Pat Ricard has two false starts. Morgan Moses has two false starts. Marcus Williams has a DPI. You know, dumb shit going on. They get, go do a quarterback sneak on third and one and can't fucking line up right. Why can't you line? It's a quarterback sneak. The, 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 the tight end on the left side doesn't matter. It's, it's the center, the guards, and the quarterback, and maybe one tackle, and maybe a back comes up and runs up. It is the A-gap players. Just They couldn't just line up because they were so hungry to finish. So then Lamar Jackson goes into the, the press conference, I believe yesterday, and says, it's just like, why do we have to talk about finishing? Like, we're, He said something along the lines of, go look up the transcripts to get the exact verbiage, but he said something along the lines of, why do we have to talk about finishing? Like, That's just what our job is. Like, We talk about the red zone offense. It's like, yeah, we have to score a touchdown. That's our job. Like, we don't have to talk about it. We all, we all know that. We all know we have to score. What do we need to it, – it's created this unbelievable knot of sciatic fucking burning fire inside of them, this knot that they can't get out. And then what does Marlon Humphrey go on to say? You know, R-E-L-A-X, which is another Harbaugh-ism. And it's just like, yeah, just go play football. It's October. 
They're three and three. They're first in their division. Or it should they should they be five and one? Should they be six? And, sure, they should have won some more games. Sure, you know, aside from the Dolphins game, which I think truly was an actual collapse of several factors, the last two have been bad. But it's a product of this fixation, and it's just I feel like the finish message had the most terrible possible consequence. And I don't think it was like. It wasn't some big thing. John Harbaugh prints a couple fucking t-shirts and says finish a couple times, but it just manifested into this really peculiar energy. And at this point in time, considering, and, and I went back and listened to our NFL review epi- or uh, season preview episode that you and I did right ahead of the, the Jets week one. I think it was like the Thursday before that game. And we talk about things like this. Everyone, uh, so many people in the fan base, so many of the loud, the loud, angry people on the internet are saying Stop caring about preseason. All of our players got hurt last year. Stop putting the starters in in preseason. So what did they do? We talked about all this. What did they do? They didn't put them in. They still won all the games anyway because they're psychotic, but they didn't get the reps. The reps weren't had. They didn't go get a couple bugs out. And they also still didn't have Ronnie Stanley back. They still didn't have Bowser back. They still didn't have Edwards. They still didn't have Dobbins. They still didn't have Peters. None of them have had any game reps. At all. They have not had preseason. They have not had regular season in over a year. Since, since Aside from one game, Ronnie Stanley pre-whatever pre surgery he had. So them sputtering now, isn't that, what, isn't that what you asked for? Isn't that what you asked for as a fan base? To stop being so focused on preseason and the conditioning test and all of the things that were mocked. And then the coin flips. Well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing... Maybe because they're trying to peak later in the season. Maybe they want your hashtag fresh legs. That's going to be a t-shirt, I believe, as well. Fresh legs. That should be that should be the motto. Forget finish. Give me fresh legs. And fresh yeah, legs. A, a, couple, a couple things to hit on there. I think that's sort of why you and I maybe defended the front office, defended the coaching staff against Voss and these people that are, you know, talk about oh, all that, you know, all they care about is make it to the wild card round. Make just get into the tournament. Get into the tournament. I get what they're saying. But that takes for granted how fucking hard it is to win any football game in the regular season. Like, it's not easy to, like, have consistent regular season success like they did. So I get the overall overarching point about, and I'm starting to get into agreement with them, going back to this offseason, I said they got to emphasize the wide receiver position a little bit more. We're going to get into the fact that they're now me sowing, me me reaping, me sowing. Uh, ha ha, fuck yes. It's like that's that's the exact thing with this, this wide receivers issue right now. So we saw that coming for one thing. And then I guess also, like, you make a good point about the seriousness and the attitude, and you mentioned Marcus Peters. That game against the Bills was one of the more listless, dull games that I've ever been to in terms of energy on the field for them. And it was, you know, raining and shitty weather and all that stuff, but it just felt inevitable that, you know, they were going to, you know, collapse. And ultimately they did, and they lost that game. But then you get Peters, you know, fired up at the end of the game, pissed off. He's the one guy that I, I kind of am growing to hate the phrase hold accountable and all that kind of stuff. But like, he's one of the guys on the team that I, you know, of course you're actually going to be okay with him doing that. Then you get him out there against the Bengals and he's getting in Jamar Chase's face. He is fuck, He's making plays on the ball. He's making that play on the Philly special and doing his like John Lennon rubber band man thing like that. That is a guy with a fucking attitude. That is a guy. That and I want to highlight specifically something that, is like a weird thing that I thought of earlier. And I, I'm so glad you brought that up. That hit that he made on Tyler Boyd and the flailing he, the, I don't fucking care what I look like. The, I don't care what you think of me. I am just in my fucking emotion. 
and I am physical and I'm an alpha and that is this sport that you play and the rules have changed and blah, 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 blah. But he didn't care what he looked like. He didn't care. He doesn't give a shit about social media. He doesn't give a shit about the reporters. He doesn't give a shit about any of that. He just wants to go dominate. And it even crept into him. He did go grab Darius Slayton at the end of that game on a fucking game-winning interception where he didn't need to. It even manifested into him, the, the one who is the concrete, it feels like, in that realm of attitude still. So... Then, go ahead, Jake, I'll, we'll get back to it. But I just wanted to sidetrack on that because that exact play is what they need as a, in their psyche, in their mental state. Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much hit on it all. And we, I think you and I were going back and forth on Twitter a little bit, maybe this week or last, about how, goddamn, they just need a, they need a spark right now. And our, our guy Kevin was tweeting the, the video of today is the, the anniversary of the Seattle game. You know, one of the biggest wins in franchise history at this point, because that's really the turning point from the 2018 Lamar Jackson. All right, what are we doing here? Is this just kind of a gimmicky run offense? Like, you know, obviously we had our belief in him, but you have some doubts. And I think it was really that game that kind of turned things around. And I think organizationally, that was everyone is, you know, now looking back at Ozzy with these rose colored glasses and oh, Ozzy would, you know, he was better than DaCosta and this and that. But the Marcus Peters move was really the the one to me where it's like, shit, DaCosta might be operating on a, a different, more modernized level here. And he saw the results in that first game where he gets that pick six and he turns the, the tide of that game. He have DaCosta on the sideline getting called on video, like fist pumping. It's like, shit, this is like, this is something new that like we got. F one stuff. Yeah, it, it was. It was a, a great comparison. A lot of juice, you know, involved in that. And man, they just really, really need a moment like that. And it's funny because it was Peters to me a little bit. Like obviously they've had a stumble, stumbling block since then. But to me, it was being in that stadium on that Sunday night game against the Bengals and watching Marcus Peters go one on one with Jamar Chase at certain points, watching him make that play on the, uh, you know. Skyline Chili special that uh, was ill-fated with Tyler Boyd there flailing around doing that all that thing and just like you know he's just he is the, he's kind of you know I love I love Marlon Marlon's my guy but he's the anti-Marlon in some ways he does not care about social media he is wearing the gold cleats and he's like doing all this shit that like I just like wear socks yeah exactly like and he yeah he's always somehow finds a way to get out of his socks I don't know where they go or what happens but he's always always out of them but he's Man, you talk about the, the generational difference and you talk about socioeconomic differences. That is a guy that had to fucking get it out of the dirt if you read about his life. And I mean, that's that sort of speaks, I think, to what drives him and what makes him a little bit different. And I'm not saying that it's like players in, in Ravens franchise history that, that people fell in love with and made them fall in love with this team. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, me too. And like, it's just it's one of those things where I don't think that the death of certain aspects of you know hashtag toxic masculinity is a bad thing i think there's some of that with that we needed to leave in the past but there's also maybe a little bit of a uh, identity crisis with young men right now and uh, a lot of different ways not to get all jordan peterson on anyone here i'm not taking it in that direction but I it's don't a know. different generation yeah and, it's, it's and much... navigating through that trickles into every aspect of society and culture which nonetheless is sports yeah, no doubt. And, uh, you know, it's not it's not even that these guys are dealing with an identity crisis. I think Marlon Humphrey's a very confident guy. I think a lot of these guys are very confident young guys. But, you know, it's uh, it's different when you're playing a sport like this and you're, you know, having to go out and do the, the Ben Powers, take a grown man's dream and crush it type deal. It's uh, it translates to different guys in different ways. And I'd say it's much more the norm to be like Marlon these days than it is to be like Ray Lewis or Ed Reed. Um, Definitely. And it, yeah, like I said, not totally a bad thing, but it's kind of where you get where you're at right now to some extent. 
Definitely. That's that's what it feels like from the fan perspective, in in my eyes, at least. And then we have today, you know, uh, Marlon Humphrey tweets after the game, the definition of insanity, the classic Albert Einstein quote, doing things over and over, expecting the same result. Everybody asked him about that. They asked Harbaugh. He says, I think that if, you know, Marlon had wanted me to know something, he would he would let me know. Uh, then we say have Jeff's Reback say from the locker room, Humphrey also said that he and a few other players approached John Harbaugh this week with some suggested minor changes to what they're doing in terms of checks on plays and other things. He said the defense messed up one of them in practice today. Harbaugh held them accountable. And and while that, you know, can be a, a political propaganda, you know, statement to a degree, you know, whatever, you can always make things sound a little bit more pretty and and and, and purple than you they might have actually been. But that is the transcension that they need. And, and I, I really, I don't, I'm not knocking Ravens PR. I think they're one of the best in sports, the, the, the wired that they do, the game day experience, everything they do is incredible, but maybe it is time for your hundred million dollar corner to stop being Mr. Cheese noodles and be Mr. Fucking leader on this team. And it kind of feels like he has stayed away from, from some of those things and is not, you know, a spring chicken anymore. He is a, he's in his prime. He's supposed to be in his prime right now. He's in his, you know, as you like to say, you're, you're mid to mid to late twenties. He's right around where you are, especially I'm, in, I'm in my early to mid twenties. No, on this podcast, on the review episode, you said word for word. I am now, you're like, I'm 27. I'm now in my Listen, mid to upper late. No, no, mid- I, that was, I, like I said, that was late. I was a little foggy headed, weird loss. Sure, you know. sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I digress, you know, ultimately it's time to do your, do what you're supposed to do to take it seriously. And I just don't to parlay this into it. There can't be a more symbolic time for the 2012 Ravens to be coming to have their 10-year anniversary than after that Giants game and into this Browns game where you have an opportunity to move to 2-0 in your division, to move to 4-3 and and maintain number one in your division as guys are coming back and as guys like Tyus Bowser, who is a leader on this team, as guys like J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, who are supposed to be leaders on this team, Marcus Peters, Ronnie Stanley are integrating back in. Ronnie Stanley is supposed to be... Him and Marlon are the two highest paid players in in franchise history, aside from Flacco as a quarterback. It's time for them to be able to be leaders again. And and that feels like what they got. Not only were they not on the field last year, but they couldn't finish, 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 finish. It's like, why couldn't they finish, finish, finish? Because they didn't have their guys. They didn't have Peters, as you mentioned. They didn't have Ronnie Stanley. They didn't have their bruising, devastating running backs that do crazy things to defenses and suck to tackle. You know, they didn't have any of that. So, um, it all spelled, all of this was in the air before the season that this could be what it looks like. And Jawan James is starting at left tackle and, you know, Morgan Moses is a new piece. It's like you're building a plane there. while you're getting it off the, off the ground. Exactly. It's, it's, I like to, I think I likened it to Fortnite the way, you know, I was never a huge Fortnite guy. I play a lot of call of duty instead, but uh, you know, in that game, you you build as you're running. You can run through the air while you're building underneath your feet, and it feels like that's what this team has been doing for really ever since Ronnie Stanley went down, ever since Ronnie Stanley broke his ankle, and he's back now. We actually said and, and very sternly agreed in that same NFL review, I'm going to keep blowing smoke up our butts because I think we fucking nailed it, and hey, maybe this team goes 4-13 and 13 or whatever the hell, but we said we think right around week 6, week 7, this team should have a lot of its pieces back, hopefully, and will be able to start rolling. So that's where they are. They didn't play their players in the preseason. They struggled with their identity. And it sounds like Marlon Humphrey is ready to step up and be that councilman, that you know president of the team, things like that. And they need him to be. 
They need that leadership. That is what has made this team successful. And I love John Harbaugh to death. I really don't have too many terribly negative things to say about him, but I feel like he definitely has lost his edge and he is not the same coach that did win the Super Bowl in 2012 as that team comes to town. So um, the players need to bring it and they absolutely need a spark. So I guess we can parlay that into what they did this week, which I wouldn't say necessarily is like a huge jolt, but it is someone who has a piss and vinegar attitude. The Ravens go out and sign Deshaun Jackson, uh, put him on the practice squad. Looks like that's just because you can for two weeks. Why not take advantage of those two weeks where you can have more players activated and they go get a guy that has always had a bad fucking attitude. He's kind of like the Marcus Peters of wide receiver. Is he young enough still? Is he going to be an impact, you know, consistently? No, um, but can go do some things and, and, that's not the move, but there still is a jolt needed. And if it's a little bit of Deshaun Jackson and a little bit of the players starting to fucking grip down and take shit seriously more than they have ever, and then you go make one other move, I think this team, I think this team can be disgusting. Yeah, I think they should be. I mean, they they should have been before that. I mean, they've got all this talent already, but Bateman gets hurt, and like. Here's the whole thing with the Deshaun Jackson thing. Like, I was a little pissy on Twitter about it, like, for sure. And I'm still not totally happy about it as a move. I'm totally, like, fine with the idea of him, like, being a contributing piece. Like, I don't think he's completely cooked. I think he can do some stuff for he's you. He's a rotational deep receiver that can go make a big play and run coverage off. Exactly. And that's fine. That's, that's what you need right now. I get it in theory. The only reason I was pissed off is because here you are. Who could have seen this coming, right? Like we had this discussion all summer. I was saying before they traded Marquise, like, hey, like keep investing in wide receiver. That's what a lot of these smart teams are doing. Maybe that'll be a smart thing for you to do. They don't do that. They're just, it's the the word unserious is getting thrown around a lot these days. And I guess, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I get kind of annoyed by that, but it's sort of in keeping with what we're talking about with some of these players. It's just the unserious approach to this position to an extent, like do something a little bit more, long term do something that's gonna you know get the get the juices flowing a little bit more i wanted dj Moore. i would take elijah Moore. i'd be over the fucking moon if they could go get elijah Moore, who has requested a trade apparently the jets uh have no plans to trade him per uh ian rapaport we'll see if that's just bluster or what the deal with that is but uh that's a move that i'm looking to make if i'm if i'm edc and it's like it just like I said, Deshaun Jackson, I think will be a fine player. It just, it really, really sticks in my craw that we had this conversation 1 million times and we were, we were like the guys who were like, yeah, don't worry as much about wide receiver. It's not all about that. It's not all about that. Like pre but if know, Bateman goes down. Exactly. Yeah. But if Bateman goes down, boom. And like, even like before, like the Bateman goes down, stuff. it's just like, just keep, you know, keep investing, keep trying, keep throwing darts at the board here with this position because like, you probably hit one with Bateman, but he's shown a propensity to get hurt a little bit. I think you have hit one with Duvernay. You missed on Miles Boykin. You hit to an extent with Hollywood. He he wants out of town, so I don't know if you can call that really a hit. It was a push. That was a push push. Sure, yeah, I'll call it a push. It was a good draft pick that didn't work out in the long term. Just keep throwing darts at the board. I guess you could call Prochet a miss. He was a six-round pick, whatever. Tylen Wallace is certainly a you miss. You don't expect day three players to be starters. No, you do, exactly. fucking crazy. Yeah, exactly. And like it's but the problem with the approach that this organization has with the position is that people are going to expect that from a six round pick because what the fuck else do they get? They don't get serious options. And I get the anger at this point. I <laughs> OK, here's what I'll say is I get the anger. I get the angst. I share some of it. Let's just be normal about uh, how we vent these frustrations on Twitter is what I'll say. 
it's just uh, and again i hate i do it too much i hate policing fans and i do do whatever if you want to rage then rage god knows how many controllers i've broken playing madden or call of duty or halo in my life and i keep playing and i don't know why i haven't in a while actually but if it's if that's enjoyable for you if misery is your is your comfort i i i tip my cap i guess but it just you don't like they pl they'll play another game and they're probably not going to win the super bowl every single like they're not there is a 100% chance that they aren't going to win the super bowl every year they will never win the super bowl every year they will never win their division every year for 20 consecutive years they it, it's okay there will be another game there will be another season you can look forward to the draft Ooh, it's a long football experience. If you want to be a football fan, you're in it for the long haul. You could be a fucking Jets fan. You could be a fucking Commanders, Redskins football team fan dealing with whatever that is. You could be a, you know, Bears fan. At the same time, you know, I'm not a rage quitter, Garnett. I'm a rage stay. Uh, just continue raging. But anyway, you know, you, it, it could be worse. Could it be better? Absolutely. They could have been the Chiefs during this time. And they could have been the Bucks, I guess, during this time or the Packers who went to two NFC championships. So they weren't, they've been a good team. They haven't been a great team. They have been relatively successful in comparison with average, but haven't been great. And that's all right to want them to be great and criticize moves and things like that. It's just like, take it easy, man. Just take it easy. You know, the, the, it's just, I don't know the, the society that we live in now, all that stuff. Twitter's a fucking joke. Everybody gets all pissy and, crying and da, 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 then okay whatever man just sack up and get off the app if you're crying every day having no fun i just what what is the enjoyment i don't understand if you're it's like chemical chemical imbalance in your brain you're depressed is what that means basically so just in, take a deep breath save your takes for maybe tuesday or wednesday relax it's okay it's a long season like i said maybe they suck maybe they miss the playoffs i don't think they do but Maybe they do. It's all right. Yeah. No. I mean, it's uh, it's said well. I think it's just uh, it's it's really hard to like be on Twitter and like take a lot of that shit seriously because it's just like so much of it is just so like it's just so patently absurd that like this is how people like view things. Like I just can't understand it. And like you you know I don't want to police fans either, but at a certain point it's like guys we gotta like relax a little bit here with the way that we're venting some of these frustrations, like be, be funny about it, like make memes and like do, do that kind of shit. Cause I like that very much. Um, but, uh, yeah, just get, you know, get out of your feelings a little bit and, uh, learn to embrace the absurdity of it all, because that's what it is. It's sports. It's absurd. It's stupid. Uh, it makes, it determines our mood for a week, which is really kind of a, not a great thing for healthy adults, but that's where we're at. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, it must be just a, a lot of people that are you know, like 19 years old is what I'm guessing. And, you know, I guess as someone who's in their mid two people who are in their mid to late twenties, uh, you know, I just is like another season, every season that goes by, I grow slightly desensitized more when they lose and uh, you know, when they win, it's cool too. So I don't know. I love the draft. I love free agency. I love the cycle of the NFL. I love the NFL as a whole. I love the sport of football. I love college football. The, the, the center of the world doesn't have to be the Ravens every day. I'm sure you guys play fantasy football. I'm sure you guys do DraftKings and stuff like that. Just relax. R-E-L-A-X, as uh, Mr. Marlon Humphrey said. I agree. You're inching closer and closer to uh, politics being your sports, which is what happens to everyone when they get to a certain age. It is. It is the. It literally is the red and blue. It's like everything has to be an, everything has to be an argument or a debate as opposed to a conversation. It, it doesn't have to be an end-all, be-all. You don't have to dig your toes in and, and you know, dig your heels in in the tug of war and try to pull back 
to be right. And I can make this PFF grade that if I pull the right one and the right years of stats, then I'm the winner of the Twitter debate. It's okay. Guess what's never happened ever. Someone's changed their mind. Exactly. So it's just futile. You're just arguing a brick wall. You're arguing yourself in, in essence. So just take it easy, man. And, and I guess the final point here to police fans is like, wouldn't it be nice if you just pick the fucking team up? Wouldn't it be nice if you were positive and, and said, that's all right, go get them next week and didn't tweet things at people, at players that are in the public eye and subject themselves to this stuff. I mean, the amount, no wonder they do crazy shit, man. No wonder they go off the hinges and so many athletes while slamming their head and getting concussions go off the rails. No wonder because of the amount of unbelievable stuff they go through. It does take a, a pretty insane person to not be impacted by, by what they receive in terms of public scrutiny and criticism. Much like a politician. Yeah, exactly. So, I don't know. I guess, uh, is that our, our piece on all that? Do you want to touch on old Eli Moore uh, up there in New York requesting the I trade? I mean, any of them, man. You know, Oda, it just feels like, hey, we. I think the, the best way to put it, we don't need to have to harp on it too much. I really love Elijah Moore. If you can have him for a second, maybe a second and a fourth or a fifth, spot on. Uh, if you can have DJ Moore for a first and a third, spot on. They just need the jolt. And it's probably time to put the jolt on the offensive side of the ball. And to me, that says Odell Beckham, very much so. And I don't know what his health is. Maybe his knee's in great shape. He has recovered from injury. He is a freak athlete of freak athletes. So I think that someone coming off of a Super Bowl, and if you're able to pull him there after all of the, all of the hoopla of receivers don't want to come here, and that, those are things that DaCosta does face and talk about and gets pretty candid with. And, and opens up about if you can pull in Odell Beckham and hey, maybe it needs to be a two year deal or maybe you need to extend Marcus Peters. That's a lot. Asking to do that is a huge ask in a very specific scenario. But if you can maybe give him a two year deal for 18 million or 20 million and that makes him happy, I don't know if it would. But if you could do that, I think that gives this team something that may and it, it almost I would somewhat liken it to the Yannick Ngakwe. I don't think. It's quite the same, but literally Yannick Ngakwe only had three and a half, four sacks, but he impacted the pass rush in a way where left tackles had to set deeper, whatever. Odell Beckham might not be a great player, but the impact that he will have, I think, to the jolt and to the R-E-L-A-X as opposed to the F-I-N-I-S-H, I think would be huge at this point for this team. Yeah, definitely. So it is going to be it's going to have to be something other than DJX. Like, you know, it just, like we said, he can be a contributor, but if you do want that jolt, if you want that Marcus Peters type move or in process, a unique Ngakwe type move, like, yeah, you, you got to do a little bit better than old, old DJX can give you. And, uh, listen, you, uh, you don't really make these big moves very often. So you have picks to work with and, uh, it's not the end of the world. If you fork over a, a second round pick to get a guy like that. I mean, you made four first round picks in the last two years. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, just you know, don't don't be give so. Give a little jolt. Give a little jolt. So I guess I guess it's good time to to move on to the Browns game, uh, ultimately. And this is what is so interesting about this Ravens team. And another John Harbaugh quote from this week was that they have put like we, as in the Ravens, they have put out a ton of great tape. And that's why it is like almost like I laugh when I'm watching tape sometimes. Because it's like you watch Justin Matabike have a fantastic game. You watch Marlon Humphrey have a great game. Mark Andrews has a great game. Linderbaum plays well. You know, Lamar Jackson plays. It's like all of these good things are happening. And that's why it's so ironic. And that is why the Ravens are incredibly highly ranked in DVOA despite being three and three. 
because all of their metrics, all of the considerations of the opponents they played, all of those things have led to the Ravens being the third best team in DVOA, which is considered by many to be the most predicate, predictatory, whatever, predicative. I can't spot talk right now, but predictive. Uh, yes, predictive metric. There we go. And I couldn't talk for a second, but so then where are the, where are the Cleveland Brownies? Where is this team that has been a, a pig with lots and lots and lots of lipstick on it? Not nearly as close there. Uh, they have done a great job. It seems like scheming up Jacoby Brissett and putting them in a great situation. The uh, Browns are 21st. Their offense is eighth and their defense is God awful. Joe Woods has been taking an unruly amount of scrutiny, running a very basic defense consistently. There's really not a lot of dressing on it. They just line up and play. They play their split safety stuff and three safety stuff. Um, it is not a fun watch, but their offense has been able to conjure up a great run game with Chubb, has been able to work through Brissett and, and generate play action, hit Amari Cooper, some of those things. So kind of the exact opposite of what was expected of this Browns team. Yeah, definitely. It's been, uh, been an interesting watch with them. I think I was definitely down on them on that preview pod that you've mentioned. Uh, I just felt like, you know, you talk about the mental side of the game. I thought that this Watson thing was really going to be uh, weighing on them heavily, and maybe it is. But, I mean, man, Stefanski can fucking coach, man. Whatever you think about the uh, Browns organization on the whole, that guy has really shown an ability to uh, make chicken salad the last couple of years. And uh, that run game, I think, is a big part of it. They've really had that thing working. Jacoby Brissett, like, he... He didn't really show much with the Dolphins, but like he showed himself to be fine, I think, with the Patriots and Colts at times over the years. He's just like a perfectly fine backup quarterback that is replacement level that can wing you games and have shown an ability to do that this year. I mean, shit, they really probably should have beat the Chargers a couple uh, couple weeks ago. Was that last week? I'm not totally sure, but... They chargered the Chargers. Yeah, they're going to be a tough out, I think. Most certainly, and Jacoby Brissett in Sports Info Solutions, points earned, he is 12th, 27.82, meaning that he has above that's like epa considering factors so this is this is how interesting you can put it so points earned by sports info solutions when i where i work there the understanding that i have of it and firmly do is that there's epa which is a result of the play what how many points were earned on that play points earned considers the position of all 11 players and the last most similar 10,000 instances that on any team Players were in the most similar 10,000, like not simulations, actual plays that they have. So EPA, Jacoby Brissett has a minus 20 EPA, which ranks, let's see here, that is the 12th worst. But when you go to points earned, he's actually the 12th best and slightly ahead of Lamar Jackson. So that means that in their opinion, based on 10,000 previous plays, similarly of all of the plays the Browns have run, Jacoby Brissett has basically equated as a passer, specifically as a passer, uh, just about as much making chicken salad as Lamar Jackson has right under Kirk Cousins and Trevor Lawrence. So Brissett has been quite all right is what that says. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, it's going to be interesting in that regard too and like how they choose to deploy them against a defense that, uh, you know, has looked a lot better the last couple of weeks and I think looked really good against the Giants for most of that game. And it's also interesting because I think the Giants ran a game plan that I could definitely see the Browns maybe trying to mimic a little bit um, where they, they didn't even run Daniel Jones as much as, 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 I, eh, as I was expecting, but they just stuck to it with Barkley, man. They just kept pounding the rock and like it wasn't working at first, but ultimately that, that kind of wears the defense down. And I could see Nick Chubb kind of 
being in that same sort of category where it's like, this is our bell cow and we're just going to fucking stick to it. And uh, when maybe that stops working, we'll just go away from that and uh, dump it off to Mike uh, out of the backfield there or uh, Mike's brother. Um, and yeah, I just think um, they've also shown a little bit with that receiving core, like you mentioned too. So, I mean, if they want to suck them in on play action and try to hit one over the top with Cooper or Donovan Peoples Jones, like that could be another option for them as well. Very well said. So look, just looking through some kind of base numbers for this Browns offense, on first and 10, they have run the ball for 100 rushes even for 533 yards, 5.33 a clip easy there. 19 first downs on first down throwing the ball. They have accumulated 389 yards on 60 such plays and averaged 6.48 yards per pass in 20 first downs. Uh, so the conversion rate throwing the ball is not terribly higher in, in terms of first downs for how many they've thrown it above rushing. So they really like to run the ball on first down. On second down and, and 10 here, we'll say the play is stuffed. They average 3.13 yards per carry. They've done such 25 times. On second and 10, they've thrown the ball 16 times and averaged 4.88 yards per attempt. So basically, what that tells me, 100 rushes to 60 rushes on first or 60 passes on first down, they like to run the ball about two out of every three-ish first downs that they have. And if you can stuff that run, you kind of put them in no man's land. They've only ran on second and 10 for first downs, uh, let's see, 0% of the time, and they've only thrown for four. If you look up at second and nine, that makes it that they have ran the ball 14 times for seven yards a carry, okay, and one first down. On second and nine, they've thrown the ball 11 times and averaged 5.91 and have only had three first downs. The, the numbers on my point generally going up to first second and eight for both of them, you have to stop the rush on first down. That is where Stefanski seems to want to live and die. Uh, on third down in general, they have not been fantastic. Uh, on third and two, they are 24th in the league in conversion rate. On third and four, they are, or excuse me, on third and three, they are 13th. On third and four, they are 19th. So, if you can beat them on first down defensively, you can really put a wrench in their plans. And a lot of that has to do with stopping Nick Chubb mainly. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, we, I don't, we don't have to jump into the offense yet either, but it reminds me of the Ravens offense at their worst over the last couple of years. When was it? Mark Ingram, first and 10, you wind up in second and 11 every fucking time. Like in, in 2020. Yeah. And it's just like, it was, I, I remember the phrase we kept using was you're getting behind in the count on these drives and it's just killing you. So I think that's a astute point there. And I think it's a, a thing where if Packer queen can continue this good run of play that he's on, buckle up that chin strap, be ready to meet uh, Nick Chubb in the hole there. You're probably not going to be getting them in second and 11, but if you can get them in second and eight, second and seven consistently, that's going to be a good spot to live. And it looks like that. Wyatt Teller was in a walking boot and has not practiced. Denzel Ward has not practiced. Jack Conklin has an ankle and is injured. Uh, and then both Clowney and Garrett are limited. I, I think that Garrett probably just is still a little sore from that car accident, whatever. Uh, but anyway, the big one there is Wyatt Teller, who is an all-pro guard and a highly paid guard. And I also have well-documented on the, the Bird app that is Justin Matabike's son is Wyatt Teller. Um, he has whooped him. Uh, the worst tape that Wyatt Teller has, and I've talked to several of my you know Browns buddies that cover the Browns, the worst tape, the worst matchup for him is Justin Matabike. The Browns also have Ethan Pochick as their center, who is their third center, but the first two were lost to season-ending injury, and has really high PFF grades and really high uh, you know run block win rate, yada, 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 all the ESPN stuff. 
But I think if you take that all pro guard out, and I think if you have that center not have, you know, someone who's playing, not maybe as, don't get offended by this, but like, a, think of how, how good Marshall Yonda was for Matt Skura. I liken it to kind of like that. Then you look at a team that has really effectively stuffed Nick Chubb since that 2019 blowout when it basically made the Ravens cut and trade their linebackers and get new ones. Um, I don't know, man. I just don't think it bodes well for the Browns to not have Teller in this game. And, and we'll see with Conklin. He's banged up. So clearly he's not 100%. And it feels like with Justin Houston probably coming back and a, a decently healthy Ravens front and a guy like Matt Abike, a guy like Travis Jones, Broderick Washington's played decently, Brent Urban. Browns haven't run the ball well in the Ravens, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think things are looking terribly up for their offense. Yeah, definitely. I think like when it's so obvious what you're going to do, it's definitely easier to sort of focus and hone in on that uh, as a defense. So, I mean, McDonald has uh, certainly taken some shit. Uh, I think retroactively, I think it's pretty easy to say that it was unfair uh, to an extent, but uh, he has, you know, at times gotten away from... Uh, from the old identity uh, that he's bringing in that's a little bit different from Wink and gotten Blitz happy. So I think guys sitting where they need to sit in their zones and just sort of making plays on Nick Chubb uh, in the hole, that's that's going to be a big part of uh, having success or sustained success against them, I think. so. Definitely. And so, you know, Malik Harrison's been playing well. He had some really nice plays out kind of on the edge. Patrick Queen, you mentioned. Geno Stone looked pretty damn good running the alley. So the, the kind of second and third level, Chuck Clark always is, giving you that that 70 PFF grade every single game, every single time. Uh, so, you know, go make some plays up front, make Jacoby Brissett have to beat you, and that's usually what most people say about teams that run the ball well, but it's true. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll also be interested to see if they, like, kind of get Brissett on the move a little bit because he's not, like, he's not super mobile, but do you remember his first ever start for the Patriots when they go out and they beat the Texans with him running that? They they ran him like he was a like wing T quarterback. Yeah. And I was like, dude, I remember watching this guy at NC state. My buddy actually played against him in high school. He was like, we, and we were watching the game together in college. He was like, dude, he could not move like this back when, like (laughs) back when I played against him. Like, it's just a funny, kind of a funny thing. So I'll I'll be interested to see if they like start to He's an incredible quarterback sneaker. I'll give him that. I'm pretty sure he's one of the highest percentage all time. Yeah. One of those tall dude, tall, very stout dude. Dudes, that, that will certainly yeah, he's got some haunches on him so yeah, yeah and, definitely uh, he can push the pile so then conversely switching to the other side of the ball so like i said the browns on first and 10 average 5.33 yards per carry which ranks number one in the nfl and they have the number one first down conversion rate their defense is worse than they are good running the ball offensively on first and 10 they allow 5.57 yards per clip uh they have allowed 468 yards rushing on 84 rush plays, 5.57 a clip. And on passing downs, they are like, eh, it's okay. It's the 18th uh, ranked in, in terms of allowing first downs through the air on first and 10. So that doesn't bode well for them on defense. They're playing a, a stout run defense, I think, of the Ravens and then going against an incredibly dynamic. This Ravens rushing team, a rushing attack right now, is averaging 6.16 yards per carry. Uh, and if you remove Neals, which no one ever does for some reason unbeknownst to me, I think it's 6.78 yards per carry. And that is o- over a half yard higher than they have averaged at any point in franchise history. So that includes obviously those two super incredible 2019 and 2020 rushing seasons. Yeah. So get off the line, you know, get that ball moving on early downs, get yourself ahead in the count uh, in turn and uh, make use of hopefully Gus Edwards coming back. I think that's sort of the prevailing notion is that he's going to play and make an impact this week. That's what Shefty was saying, like as, re- as like as early as I think Monday or Sunday or something like that. 
So, well, Edwards has to play in this game. Um, has to be. Well, he doesn't have to play. He has to be activated. Pardon me. Yeah. So Schefter said that he. I think he's going to make an impact. So it's like it's not just he's not just ghosting his way onto the roster for that reason. It sounds like he's actually going to play. Not a moment too soon with J.K. Dobbins dealing with an injury right now. So just a weird kind of influx running back room. But goddamn, Kenyon Drake also looked very good against the Giants. Let's keep that rolling. Let's get a little thunder and lightning going with Drake and uh, Gus. That would be that would be very very beautiful to me. Especially in short yardage situations, that would be cool. Uh, Ravens have really just an all-around run game that's starting to work. I got into it a little bit with Stephen Ruiz of uh, the Ringer a couple weeks ago about their under center rush game, and they have generated. What are, what some are you not getting into it with him? It feels like a little bit of a, a rivalry going on. I, 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 he's written some articles that I just think were very, he's very condescending, and I don't think he is quite as sharp into the scheme as he should be if he wants to be condescending about NFL coaches. That's just part of Twitter, man. You, you got to be condescending if you're going to be a film guy. Exhibit if you're, you're, if you're, if you're going to be cool, you got to be a dick. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the best way to put the, uh, the NFL kind of national, national scene on the old bird. You got you to gotta be, be an arrogant dick rider, you know, m- might I venture. You, you most certainly do. Have to be an arrogant dick rider. So on the offensive side of the ball, Mark Andrews has missed practice a couple times. Don't know. Uh, I saw one uh, one who will not be named who lost his season ticket holder privileges uh, this year and, and made some noise about that. Uh, he was quite up in arms about Harbaugh basically saying that Lamar and Mark Andrews are just uh, you know taking a rest day and then being on the injury report. I don't know. It could be Harbaugh speak. He likes to talk like that. But at the same time, you do play next Thursday and have to travel. So you really have no rest at all uh, against Tom Brady, which which is not ideal. So we'll see what happens with that. If this ends up being a Rashad Bateman game where he comes, it's just, as you said, to start the episode, no matter what they do, injury wise, especially it is one foot forward, one step back. Rashad Bateman in this comes case, back literally and- a foot. Eye for an eye, as as even as it can be. You gain Gus Edwards, you lose J.K. Dobbins for the week, probably. You gain Justin Houston, you know, well, I guess that one doesn't work, but uh, whatever, you get the point. So, interestingly enough, um, yeah, and, and Garner had a good point here. I was just trying to look up. It looks like the Ravens on RPO rushes average 10.3 yards per carry, and when the Browns are playing a very sit-and-watch defense where they go into too high and play pretty basic stuff. There's not a lot of, like, Rip Liz going on. There's not a lot of uh, commotion pre-snap, or excuse me, post-snap. Kind of easy to just thread those RPOs in there if you get a linebacker to jump. So I don't think that bodes well at all. So I do think that this is, and I I feel like I might be about two weeks off, but prediction-wise, I guess, we didn't get too, too deep into it. We haven't a full half episode on, on just kind of the psyche of the Ravens and whatever, but I think this is an eruption point. Uh, I think we've kind of been walking on eggshells with our predictions most of the season as well. So maybe it's just me wanting to kind of nut up. But I think that the Ravens are, are putting up 30, 35, 40 points in this one. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think uh, it just feels like it's time. I mean, you, you've had kind of a weird schedule thus far. I mean, the Bills were a tough team. You played them at home, and then you've been bouncing back and forth. You've been to the Meadowlands twice. You had to go up to Foxborough. It's like, let's settle in for a home game here. I know you got to go. Obviously, you mentioned the the Buccaneers, but you settle in for a nice home game against a uh, divisional opponent, probably the worst team in the, well, no, they're not the worst team in the division right now, but you know, they, they're, they're not really a serious, not not the worst team in the division. No, they're yeah, exactly. That's, that's probably a good way of putting it. They're, they're not serious contenders. 
If you fancy yourself as one, go out and fucking hang 30 on them at home. Exercise some of these demons. You know, you, you keep mentioning the Ted Lasso sage situation. Do the do the leftovers, you know, drink the poison and go down to the international hotel and, uh, you know, take care. Exercise your demons, you know, assassinate them. It's uh, it's just it's time, you know, go out there and get a convincing win. Calm these fucking Twitter streets down for one week for me. God, we would please. like that very much on our end. But uh, at the same time, they've bounced back really well. They have a huge letdown against the Dolphins and then they go handle the Patriots and then they have a letdown against the Bills and then go handle the Bengals and then they have a letdown. So, you know, the, the trend seems to be that they're when their backies up against the wall, they're able to go rile themselves up and go make a play here at Aladdy and they do prepare themselves. I think something that they let slip is that the AFC North, as I said, the Ravens have dominated it. They've won three of the, the last five here. They came in second one of those times. And in that time, the Browns and the Steelers and the Bengals signed free agents and drafted players that would help them compete with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And I think they kind of lost a little bit of vision of we want to be like the Chiefs a little instead of like, hey, how do we just keep pummeling our division? What are they doing? How do we counter that on top? And I think they finally started to, to have some realization there. David Njoku has given them problems. So now you have Kyle Hamilton, who has been a really good man coverage defender against tight ends. Has he been a little grabby? Sure, whatever, but I like the tape. Um, Linderbaum, you got a quick center that can go, you know, scrape through and will wall off the Jeremiah Wusu Koromoas of the world, who he is having a struggle bus season. Uh, and you, did you were just Mark waiting Jack for that to happen, weren't you? Yeah, I fucking have. <laughs> <laughs> We all know I hate Jeremiah Wusu Kormo. Nobody hates him more than you. And Andy Isabella. I'm sorry, Andy. I hope you score a touchdown soon. But, he, what's, uh, this, what's going on with him? Are, are, like, is he... What do you, where, where do you think he's staying right now? Where do you think he's just right at that little... Uh, what's that? What he, hotel is right there? It's a Marriott right now? Yeah, yeah. Corner? He might be kind of close to me right now, actually. Maybe yeah, I'll see him at Chipotle like I saw Trace. That he, Him and Trace do look relatively alike so he's, yeah. he's definitely a big chipotle guy andy is a belly goes to umass he fucking eats chipotle oh fuck yeah dude go to the one over on uh <laughs> on fucking chow street man fuck well i got a number so how do you like them apples i'm the guy who does his fucking job you must be the other guy <laughs> it's an absurd All performance right. perfect 52 minutes we have uh derailed so i'm gonna go i'm gonna go ravens i'm gonna go ravens 13 33 brownies 16 okay i'm gonna go ravens 33 browns 16 okay i love it put her put her there we're virtually shaking hands right yeah. now there i you thought go. you were doing roast hands at me for a second there but <laughs> <laughs> no we're uh, we're shaking hands all right we're in agreement there ravens 33 brown 16 it's happening jake has resurrected the spirit of uh, the ursay family in baltimore he's wearing a, a baltimore Colts cap right now and you know hey guess what if you want to get to summarize the episode if you want to keep crying go ask your go ask your granddad how it felt when the Colts sucked for a decade and then left in the middle of the night if you want or to your dad like me exactly so there you have it folks feel better do better be better love yourselves as Cole likes to say call your mothers all that good stuff I think that's a, a wrap on this one it's everyone's favorite GM likes to say call your parents <laughs> call call your mother uh yeah no it's 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 been a been a crazy week so let's all just come together in pining for elijah moore knowing that it's not going to happen and uh wait for this uh 21 to 18 victory that we're going to see on sunday uh so 
Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. It's been uh, been a long time since we've been able to make this happen. We're all so. cranky. You're not flexible. I'm not. I need to be more rigid because you have to go in the office. Listen, you know, some of us like to like to be grind boys and go in the office, and you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. you love it. I'm no. sure you're loving it. I'm addicted to the grind. All I know is grind. So, thank you guys for listening. It was great to talk to you for the first time in a couple of weeks pal let's do it again very soon you can listen to us again on sunday where we will be recapping this game uh we'll both be in attendance i'm pretty sure so that'll be fun uh and you can also follow us on social media you can follow the show at podcast beatdown on twitter i am at jake luke that's l-o-u-q-u-e spencer is at ravens four dummies that's the number four in the middle thanks again guys we'll talk to you again very soon peace out see ya arrivederci Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? 